I'm going to read the passage from Colossians to begin with, and then I'll pray for us. This is from Colossians, and you'll find this on page 1183, 1183 in the church Bibles. Colossians 1, chapter, chapter 1, 24 through to 2, verse 5. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints." To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, we want to pause this morning to praise you for your majesty, your glory, and for your grace towards us. For we are a needy people. We need your cleansing. We need your help. We need your spirit. We need your spirit, Father, to grasp what you're trying to say to us through your word. And we ask for that Spirit's help this morning, not only in understanding, but in the power that we will need to live out this word. So lead us, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, what I want to do to begin with is to take a few quick snapshots into the Colossian church, really to establish what was going on in this church. There's no point in me diving into the end of chapter 1 unless I 
engage in examining this context. Someone once said that biblical interpretation has three major elements. One context, two context, three context. And if I don't look at the context, I could be in trouble at 9 o'clock on Tuesday morning with some of my students who I suspect may be here this morning. God's powerful and saving grace had impacted the Colossians at the root of their rebellion. The root of the rebellion of the Colossians, as with all of us, is here from the neck upwards, the mind. They had been, Paul tells us, enemies in their minds, and that is where the gospel impacted them. And it brought transformation into their lives. Notice in in chapter 1 here the number of references to engagement with the mind. Verse 5, hope that you've heard about. Verse 6, you heard it, you understood it. Verse 7, you learned it. Verse 9, knowledge of His will. Verse 10, knowledge of God. These all involve the mind as the impact point of the gospel. And then Paul goes on to show them that their new lives are showing evidence of change, the fruit of faith, love, and hope. The first dozen verses of chapter 1 deal with that. Why does he reassure them that there's evidence in their lives that he's heard about, though he's not met them, that demonstrates that they have been impacted by this gospel? He does it, I believe, because they are facing a challenge. They've been converted, but they're facing a challenge. Possibly a specific heresy. Many scholars have written about all the possibilities of a heresy. It may be that there was pressure from other religions. Maybe there was confusion over the newness of their faith. It could actually have been all of these things. And there was a danger, Paul could see it, that these people could be deflected, they could be deceived. He mentions that in verse 4 of chapter 2. Or destabilized, destroyed. The church was okay as it was at the moment, but he could see problems coming in. And what he then does in the passage that we read earlier on is that he launches into a personal plea. Nine times in the passage that I read earlier, he uses the personal pronoun, I. And I reckon that the key to, to grasping what's going on in this passage, 124 to 25, lies in the bookends, as it were. Or if you want to think of it as a sandwich, the bread ends, the slices of bread at the end, with the content the filling of the sandwich. Those bookends are in verse 23 of chapter 1, and then in verse 6 of chapter 2. And those verses say simply this, one word, continue, continue. I reckon the entire letter actually could be summarized by that one word, Continue. If you want to make it a phrase, continue in the faith in Christ. Don't give up. Don't be distracted. 
But how are we to continue? The rest of the letter, Paul unravels how we are to continue in the faith and not to give up. And it all begins with the commission. He refers to it as his commission from God, from the Lord. And here it is, verse 28. If you've got a Bible there, please look with me there, 28 of chapter 1. His great longing for the Colossians actually reflected God's great desire for all humanity. And I see that it's a threefold commission. Verse 28, to present everyone perfect in Christ. Chapter 2, verse 2, to bring the church into the full riches of complete understanding. And in the same verse, to move the church into personal knowledge of Christ. A threefold commission. But how in practical terms will this triple divine commission be worked out in the church in such a way that the believers in Colossae and in Charlotte Chapel 2010, will continue in this faith. And here Paul begins his presentation of three essentials. Others come later in the letter, but three essentials of how this divine commission will be realized in our ongoing life together. And the first one is simply this. The divine commission will be realized through the teaching ministry of the church. What was it in Paul's commission from God that was so important that it drove the apostle to stop at nothing in his determination to serve the gospel, verse 23, to serve the church, verse 25, and personally to continue in the faith? Here's the heart of the issue for Paul in 25 and 28 to present the Word of God in its fullness. That's what drove him. That's what he was passionate about. Paul had received insight into God's cosmic plan. And he'd been given the privilege of being a part of the execution of that plan. His calling is to complete. text here refers to the idea of completing the Word of God, to preach the mystery of God, which is Christ, to present the whole Word of God, training the church in the Word. That is God's appointed means, I believe it's His primary means, of carrying out His work and His will for this world. And through this Word, our minds are fed, our emotions are moved, our wills are stirred. Training in the Word. It's not just a great idea that's come from the pastors, the elders, the deacons of Charlotte Chapel over the years. It's actually from God. It is God's mandate. It's not an optional or an elective. I spent a lot of yesterday morning explaining to 
members of the public the difference between optional subjects and elective subjects at ICC. This is not an optional one. This is absolutely core, core curriculum to present the Word of God. And verse 28, if you have a look at for that for a moment, please. We proclaim him admonishing, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom to present everyone perfect in Christ. It's a present tense verb there. It suggests continual, habitual proclamation of Christ who lies at the heart of Paul's message, nurturing, instructing, training folk in the faith. Not in a superficial way of, of presenting the saving message of Christ to the world, but involving what the text here refers to as intensive teaching in pastoral situations. And Paul makes it clear that this is for everyone in the church. Paul is concerned that everyone is trained in the Word, leading to a completion, a perfection, a fulfillment that will be fully realized at the end, at His coming. So how does it how does it actually work here in the Colossian situation? It's entirely possible that some in the city of Colossae were claiming that divine wisdom and divine knowledge came from a variety of mediators between gods and humans. And that was how humans could reach the gods, through these levels of mediation. And Paul here corrects this view by saying an absolutely incredible thing. He's saying that all divine wisdom and knowledge has been deposited in Christ. What an incredible thought. All of it deposited in Christ. Verse 3 of chapter 2. And Paul's goal for the Colossians and for us is that we tap into these divine riches through a deepening personal knowledge of Christ and intimacy with Christ. Chapter 2, verse 2. How do we enter that knowledge of Christ? By gaining knowledge of biblical truth. And this happens through the teaching ministry of the church, teaching, instructing, studying. And it's a huge challenge in a world that is increasingly biblically illiterate. Um, I'm not a regular watcher of who wants to be a millionaire. But I, uh, I tuned in a couple of years ago and watched the starter question. Those who've watched the program will be familiar. There's a starter question. There's usually, I think it's eight contestants sitting there, fastest one to answer the starter. They were asked to place four words in the order in which they appeared in the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed, name, kingdom, heaven. Those were the four words. And normally, if you've seen this program, they're very fast. Many of them have got the answer in two seconds, 2.5 seconds. And usually, most of them will have an answer. On this occasion, only one person attempted the question out of the eight. And it took a long time for that person to get it right. I saw a similar one just in the same year. 
This poor guy was, was up for £125,000 with the question, Mark was one of the New Testament Gospels. Name one other. Is it A, Luke, B, Matthew, C, John, D, Genesis? Uh, you can imagine which one he chose. He selected Genesis and lost £125,000. I kid you not. And as he shook hands with Chris Tarrant at the end, he said, I should have listened to my grandmother. She told me not to stop attending Sunday school. And I could have been a rich man, said he. Enormous biblical ignorance, lack of understanding, misunderstanding. And it's the Word of God here that lay at the heart of Paul's commission. And that training in the Word became his passion for the church. So there's the first ingredient of how this divine commission to bring perfection to his church, completion to his church, through the teaching ministry of the church. And then secondly, this operates, this kicks in through the spiritual condition of the body, the church. Now, this is a strange one. What on earth is the connection between training in the Word and the unity of the body? Apparently, there is a link. And here's the chain in the argument. Paul reveals the mystery that Christ indwells his body, the church. That indwelling spirit of Christ bears fruit in the corporate life of the church as well as in lives individually. The result is recorded in chapter 2, verse 2. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. And at first sight, when I had a look at this verse, it seemed that Paul had got this wrong, or at least had got it the wrong way around. I always thought that once we had got understanding and knowledge of God, doctrine, then that would lead to acts of love and unity and encouragement, Christian practice. And I believe that's true. But there's actually here, I suspect, a two-way process operating. Because a fellowship needs to manifest and to encourage exercise encouragement and unity and love, says Paul, by the Spirit's enabling, if it is to promote understanding and knowledge of Christ, leading to an ongoing intimate relationship between believers and their God. So it's not only that we start with doctrine, our understanding of knowledge of God, which leads to transformed life. We encourage people. We're united. It actually operates the other way around as well. So that disunity in a group of believers actually will damage and delay their growth as individuals and as a body towards maturity via knowledge, understanding, and relationship. It is actually a two-way road. So training in the Word apparently does require encouragement in heart and unity in love as a prerequisite, a precondition 
for growth in knowledge. That's a really sobering thought. It's what I'm still thinking through. So through the ministry of the church, the teaching ministry of the church, this divine commission is fulfilled. It's fulfilled through the spiritual condition of the church. And it's also fulfilled through pain and struggle and suffering. Now, there's an odd one. Pain and struggle and suffering. We said, I said at the start that this was a passage very much a personal part of Paul's letter. The apostle makes no attempt to hide the cost of this commission to train the church in the Word. For Paul, the task entailed hardship, and he paid a high personal price for this ministry. And that's actually no great surprise. We're told in Acts 9.16 that the Lord explained through Ananias that Paul would suffer. This was predicted. He would suffer in bringing the word to Jews and Gentiles. I will show Paul how much he must suffer for my name. And I believe this, this is the message from Paul for the Colossians to encourage them. It's a message from us. There is pain and struggle for all who are serious about Scripture and about living a transformed life in a hostile world. This work of training in the Word is not easy. It will be opposed by human and demonic forces. Paul opens up his heart here. He admits that it is tough going. He lets down his guard here, as it were, and he recognizes that this business of working for the perfection of believers is very costly. And it's a ministry for all of us. He's made that very clear. This training in the Word that is so costly is for all of us. Our own training, our training of others. Have a look at verse 24 of chapter 1. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, which is the church. Does that mean there was something lacking in Christ's dying on the cross? It cannot possibly be if we hold this in, in balance with the rest of biblical teaching. He seems to be saying here that he is taking his share of the pain that will be experienced by the church as it awaits the final completion of all things at the consummation of God's work of cosmic renewal. His suffering and ours, because of this ministry, training in the Word, is part and parcel of Christ's suffering. Now that sounds very stark, almost brutal, but it actually brings great consolation. The pain we endure in this ministry is because of our relationship with Christ. And Paul is taking his share of the struggle. He goes on. He's not finished yet. Verse 29, 
of chapter 1 and verse 1 of chapter 2. To this end I labor, struggling. He's struggling to serve the believers that he's never actually met. <coughs> Excuse me. And this training in the Word that produces perfection in Christ, Paul says of it, I labor. I labor. This is a strong word. It means tirelessly and with huge expenditure of effort. And how does he labor? Struggling. That's an even stronger word than I labor. This word for labor means real weariness induced by severe labor. And the word for struggling indicates single-mindedness. There's a component here of single-mindedness towards a goal, the goal of training people in the Word. So does that mean, where does this leave us? Does that mean that God leads us into this work of training ourselves and training others in the Word only to leave us struggling? And here's... Paul's testimony. The Lord gives power. Verse 29 of chapter 1. To this end I labor, struggling with his energy, all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. The goal of training in the Word to fulfill this divine commission which depends on the spiritual state of the church and which is sustained through pain and struggle and suffering, this goal is hard work. But see what happens here. Paul experiences from God. This is a passive verb. He's receiving from God the power by which God raised Christ from death. That is absolutely mind-boggling. He's struggling in this ministry of training in the Word. But the power that he receives from God is the power by which God raised Christ from death. We are the ones who labor, but the Spirit energizes. And there are many who would testify to the truth of that here at Charlotte Chapel. And I'm not talking just of the missionaries, the full-time Christian workers, both terms of which I'm increasingly unhappy with, because this is for all. This training is for all, whether it's in ICC, Charlotte Chapel, or elsewhere. We are the ones who labor. The Spirit energizes. It is our effort but it is His energy. And we experience it. How do we experience it? We experience it by persevering. This is all about persevering. I'm convinced that the major theme that, that Colossians is dealing with, it is a glorious letter. And it's dealing with continuing in life and ministry. Persevering. And it works like this. As we move forward in this training, 
of ourselves and in others, the power flows. Paul had already mentioned it way back in verse 11 of chapter 1, being strengthened, passive verb again, being strengthened with all power. The power of God's Word, the strength of God's Spirit, Paul's and our own suffering, sharing of Christ's suffering because of this ministry, were enough to sustain the Apostle Paul and to convince him that all believers have the divine resources to continue to the end without giving up because the power, the grace, the strength are flowing into us as we determine not to give up but to persevere. And the means to that end, that final goal, the divinely ordained training of the church in the Word of God. Let's pray together.